So we're going we're gonna to finish uh, chapter 1 of Ruth this morning. We, we just kind of uh, began last week with an intro. Um, let me ask you as we begin this morning, what is it that you can do when you find yourself in a place of deep sadness, maybe disillusionment, uh, maybe you've suffered loss, uh, it could be a place even of despair, what is it that can truly and finally turn that around? Uh, we're going to be talking about that this morning as we finish this first uh, chapter of Ruth. Now, last week, we did just look at the first five verses, kind of the setting, the introduction for the book, and, and a lot happened in those first five verses. The, uh, the story begins in the little town of Bethlehem, that many of us are, are very familiar with. And uh, if you were here last week, you'll know that, uh, that I gave the meaning for that name, Bethlehem, the town's name, House of Bread, which has great meaning as we uh, look at this book. Uh, but Bethlehem in Judah, and this uh, was set during the time when the judges ruled, uh, which was a time of darkness. If we look back to the book of Judges, uh, in that last statement uh, that we read, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so that's the, the context in which we enter into this, uh, this book. And uh, we're introduced right here at the beginning to a, a family, a family of four. So the father, Elkanah, the, the mother, Naomi, and then two sons, Mahlon and, and Kilion. A uh, family of, of four, we had said Naomi, uh, had this sense at that point of, of fullness uh, within her family, security, peace, and on and on. But this family, right there at the very beginning, first verse, uh, were introduced to a significant challenge uh, in their lives. That challenge was famine, uh, a lack of food. And so, as we talked about last week, the family made a... Um, a momentous decision, a consequential decision to leave physically and I think symbolically as well, to leave that land in which they were, to leave Bethlehem, Judah, the land of promise, and to go into a foreign land, the land of Moab. Now, in those first five verses, we see that they were there for, for ten years, or at least Naomi was, and during that ten years, uh, great difficulty came into their family. First of all, uh, the, the father died. Uh, then the two sons married Moabite wives, foreign wives, which was forbidden for the Israelites, but we would expect that in the land in which they lived. But then those two sons, Mahlon and Kilion, died as well. Uh, and so at the end of that ten years, uh, we're picking up the story in verse 6, uh, where there's Naomi and the two women, the two wives, uh, her daughters-in-law that are left, Orpah and Ruth. Uh, and we can see there that in the process or uh, progress of those ten years, Naomi has come into a place of, of great misery. Uh, and the question at this point is, it's naturally, what could ever turn that around? Now, what possibly 
could turn this situation from something that is very sad and very bitter into uh, something else altogether. And that's what we're going to address. So I'll begin reading verse 6, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. It says, Then she, that's Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and she lifted up, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say that I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she, Naomi, said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for these, uh, these words, and thank you, Lord, that we can... Depend upon them. Know that you have given them to us uh, for our benefit, for our building up. And we pray that you will help us to see and to understand, to take them, to apply them to our hearts. 
and to grow as a result of them, to be able to see you more clearly and to have hearts that are wed with yours. Uh, We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, this uh, story, we have a story of Ruth, is it's a great story. And uh, I, I think, just judging based on who I've talked to over the past week since we began this, that I don't need to tell everybody here that, that this is a great story. A number of people have come up to me and said just that. You said, you know, this is a wonderful story. Uh, I, I have gained so much from it. There's so much there. It's an amazing study, and on and on. And there are a lot of reasons that we, we can say that about this book of Ruth. But one significant reason that we can say that this is a great story is simply because it has in it the elements of a great story. Now virtually all the storylines, if you can think of some of the movies you've seen that, that you'd go back to and, and say, that, well, that was, that was wonderful. I just walked out of the movie theater loving that story. Uh, if you went back and traced, almost invariably you'd find out that there were three elements uh, that, that you would have seen clearly brought out. Uh, because these are the elements that, that kind of draw us into the story and, and engage us and, and that help us uh, so that we can apply ourselves to the story. Uh, there, there are these three. First of all, conflict. A uh, great story involves conflict, and it can be in, in terms of, of sin, of loss, uh, like we see here, death, uh, even hardship, fear, bitterness. Uh, the second element is kind of a, it's, it's carrying that on. It's a heightening of the tension. Uh, it's the struggles that take place coming out of that conflict, uh, working against all odds at times. Uh, and, and making difficult decisions. And then the final is resolution. It's things all being brought together. Uh, if you go back to the time of the conflict, it seemed like this would, would never happen, but finally there is a sense of harmony and peace and, and really a conclusion that's, that far exceeds uh, where you were at the, at the very beginning. Uh, all of this is part of the making of a wonderful story. And we've got all of this in the book of Ruth, wonderfully depicted, so that we are able to take this and place ourselves uh, into this story in our own experiences, whether past, present, or future. But there's one key that's it's there, right in the midst of the story, and it's, the, it's kind of the fulcrum upon which everything else turns. Uh, and we typically have that in a great story, and we have it here in the book of Ruth. It's here in the first chapter. Uh, it's, it, it's something that, it, looking back at the story, we might even say, you know what, that resolution could never have come about apart from this point, this event, this character, this life. And that happens in verse, or beginning in verse 16. Uh, Now, back in uh, one verse earlier, back in verse 15, uh, we see that Naomi has, has told Ruth to consider, to pay attention to what Orpah, uh, 
her sister-in-law has done. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. She invites Ruth there to make the same decision as Orpah made. And what we're supposed to see here, I think, is that from Ruth's standpoint, and this is what, what Naomi's saying, that this is almost the only decision that she can make. It's the only decision that makes sense. Uh, because in this world, isn't it true that, that, that we so often seek out, we follow the path of, of provision, of comfort, of security. Uh, if, if somebody were to, to walk up to someone and say, well, what is it that you really want out of life? You know, so often the answer is, I, I want to be happy. I don't know how to define that, but I, I want to be happy. And so that's part of their, their, their pursuit. You never have somebody that says, well, I want to continue in, in misery and in un, uncomfort uh, and, and uh, in uncertainty. Uh, who would say that? Yet, here with Ruth, in this pivotal statement that she makes, there's nothing obvious there to draw her in this direction. Listen to her words. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Now that last part is a curse. Uh, before the Lord God, she's calling down a curse upon herself that says, if she were to ever break this vow, uh, this curse would come upon her. Now, this is the turning point uh, for this book. And it, it's one of those that becomes more and more clear as you continue reading the book that it was this moment, it was this event, it was this, this character, it's, it's Ruth, that really opens up the floodgates for blessing for the Lord's provision, unexpected blessing. But why? Why? What brings about inside of Ruth the conviction that's behind these words? Now, there's one word to describe it, even though you may not fully see that at this point, and it's this word, conversion. You know, in these words that I just read that Ruth shared, we can see sincere affection, uh, love, a commitment for another person. And it's all crouched in this determination uh, to, to continue on to follow. Yet, there's far more underneath that. This is a statement of personal conversion. You know, when Ruth says, your God shall be my God, what we're seeing there is that there is something that has already taken place uh, with Ruth. That she really has already given herself over to another. And it's not just to her mother-in-law. It's not just to Naomi. But it is with love and devotion to 
the Lord God, whom she didn't know of before. She didn't know anything about him. Now, Orpah went in the other direction. Uh, remember, we, we uh, read that she went to her people and to her gods. Uh, but with Ruth, it's completely different. Orpah never came to, to receive and to know and to desire and to follow the one true God. And so naturally, she didn't need to relinquish anything. She just continued really on the path that she was on. Yet with Ruth, from every, everything from this point on becomes this brand new affection. Her heart is given over. And that's how it is with us. Uh, that's what conversion really is. It always, be, it, it always involves this, this new direction. We were going in, in this way, at times satisfied, uh, receiving what we desired, but then all of a sudden there's this turn, a turning away from and a turning to, and our heart is given over to someone completely different. This change, it's a radical change that takes place inside, and it's a change so, uh, so extreme that there is a permanence there. And that's what we see with Ruth, isn't it, in these words. Uh, and that's what's underneath this kind of a change. And therefore, and, and again, we'll see this impacting everything for the rest of the book in Ruth's life and in others as it goes out from there, uh, that, that this change has taken place and uh, therefore, she is different, and she sees things differently. That's what conversion is. It is the turning point that ultimately, and we see the beginning of that here, ultimately leads to renewal and restoration and true blessing. Now, conversion itself is renewal. It is new life. Uh, but what do we see so often... When somebody needs to make a change, they want to make a change, uh, but it's seeking after this program or that plan or this person. But there's only one way, ultimately, that they can have this kind of a, a change inside uh, that, that, that uproots everything else so that there's this complete change of direction, setting some things behind and others ahead. And that's what we see has occurred here. And it's really that which is needed by every single person. And so we're going to look uh, here at the, the beginning of, of this uh, book of Ruth and ask the question, what does conversion require? Now here we get it by example. Other places uh, we get it doctrinally uh, in word by God's truth. Uh, but here, wonderfully, it's by example. Two things I'm going to point out. It requires one of those is a choice by man. And the other is it requires a work of God. So conversion requires a choice by man. Now this change that we call conversion, we've got to state up front that it can show itself uh, manifests itself in someone's life in many, many different ways so that on the outside looks completely different from one person uh, to another. But what's always going to be there, what must be there in some form, uh, is an assessment of two different paths. Uh, there's, there's the one path, the path that I've been on, the path that I've been following. 
That's the old path. And then there is the new path that follows. Uh, and today we would uh, understand that fully. The path that follows Christ. Uh, clinging to Him. Trusting in Him. And at the heart of this assessment between the two, there must be, in some way, accounting of the cost. So that a choice is made based on a solid basis. And wouldn't we make all of our choices on some solid basis? We, we, we want to know, what does this involve? What does this involve? And therefore, uh, we, we put it together and we count the cost. Now, Jesus said to His disciples at one point uh, in their lives, He said, Follow me. Come, follow me. Uh, he said to Matthew in the, in the uh, tax booth, Come, follow me. But then to each of them also, over time, he said, You must count the cost so that their following they could know was genuine. And that's his word to us today as well. And we get it here by example again in the, the story of these three women. So after, after 10 years, uh, Naomi's been in, in Moab, and it's just down to herself and these two women, uh, Ruth and uh, Orpah, uh, her daughters-in-law. And Naomi hears the good news that we read about, about the, the bread back in Israel. And so these three, Naomi and Orpah and Ruth, begin a journey to Bethlehem uh, in Judah. And at this point... The, the daughters-in-law are respectful, you can imagine, toward, uh, toward Naomi. They, they want to follow her dutifully, even though they probably know that there's nothing there in Israel for them. Uh, they're foreigners. They can't marry men there. Uh, they'd have no male protection for the three of them, which in this environment meant a lot. They'd have difficulty meeting their daily necessities. It would be hard to get a job. Probably they would end up begging for food. And so you can think about Naomi. Here she is in this foreign land. Uh, their, Naomi's hardship would become theirs as they go to this foreign land for them. And so on their way, Naomi confronts them with this. And as she does that, she first thanks them for honoring her and honoring her dead her husband and sons. But then she tells them very pointedly to return, to, to go back uh, to their mother's houses uh, and there to, to find rest. And she's talking about find, find a husband for yourself, a family, a, a life, and, and continue on. Now, when they first hear this from Naomi, notice their, uh, their response in verse 10. They say, no, we will return with you and your people. But notice what happened just before that, after she had said this. They lifted up their voices and wept. Now, Naomi realizes, uh, and wisely realizes, I think, that in their response to her, it was an immediate response. It was a response that probably came out of the emotions of the moment. They hadn't really considered things, weighed things. They hadn't counted the cost. They hadn't thought, what, what is this really going to mean if we, if we move with Naomi to Israel? And there's no indication here that there had been 
at least at this point, that we can see a genuine change in their hearts so that they be given over to this new life uh, and, and new way with Naomi and all that it involved. And so notice what Naomi does. She doesn't try to sugarcoat things. She doesn't try to just persuade them. She lays out the brutal truth to them. Uh, and you can see this in beginning in verse 11. I think this is probably the second greatest speech in the book of Ruth. Naomi says, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? These questions that she's asking, that the, the answer is clearly no. And then she begins with a, a string of contingencies. Think about this. If I should say that I have hope, even if I were to have a husband this night uh, and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? You, you can see what the answer is, the clear answer. And she says, no, my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Let me ask you, is her argument convincing? If you were Ruth, Orpah, now beginning to think through this. You know, there is a, a certain literary device that's used here to help us see what's really going on. There is a, a, a word, now just in my reading this, it's, it's been used a few times, but it's repeated 12 times in this passage. And after a while, it, it becomes very clear that this word was intended to stand out. Uh, in, in English, it's the word that's translated return or turn back. Uh, and it can mean, can mean spatially talking, to go back to where you were before. Um, we see that here. But spiritually speaking, it also means repent. And that's what this whole section is about. If you think about these women, each of the women, there are two paths that are laid out before each of them. Uh, for Naomi's daughters-in-law, there is the old path. There's the way that they were following before. Uh, it's, it's the way of comfort. It's, it's where they know their own families. Uh, there is the opportunity to have a family, to have a life, a husband, prosperity. It's the way of their gods, that which they have depended on in the past. And then there's another path. There's another way. And every bit of that other path, we think about it, revolves around the one God. The, 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 what we would say, the true God who is Lord over all. Now, they would have known, being in this family, they would have known and probably repeated often uh, those words out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 that's called the great Shema. Uh, these were words that... Uh, were daily repeated. So they would have known these. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, that's very different from the gods of the other path, isn't it? Gods who, just by the, the word itself, multiple, uh, were willing to uh, accommodate others sharing their affections. Um, but they would have known about this one God who was unwilling 
to share that affection with others. And so each of these women, they counted the cost. Orpah chose the one path, the old path. And Ruth chose to cling to Naomi. Now notice what Naomi was doing here, or we might say the Lord through Naomi. She wouldn't allow them to follow the Lord on the basis of the emotion that was taking place inside of them. Or out of just a sense of duty, uh, out of any other similar motive. She was brutally calling them to count the cost. Uh, And a tremendous cost it was. There was a total turning that was required of them, a complete renouncing of the old way and a turning to the new way, an embracing, a clinging to, a following uh, the new path. And of course, the one God. Nothing half-hearted would suffice. The same thing is true for us. There are two paths that are, that are there in front of us. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, have I chosen? Am I on? Do I know that I'm on the one path? Do I know that I'm on the new path? Or am I continuing with maybe a foot over in the old path, in the ways in which I'm following my own way? And a certain amount of honesty is required there, isn't it? Uh, because when we're called to count the cost... We've got to be brutally honest. We've got to say, I, either I am or I'm not. You know, Jesus says about this, about counting the cost in Luke chapter 9. He said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Think about what Naomi was telling uh, these two women. It was the same. Jesus also said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What he's calling there for is a wholehearted devotion to Christ and to his ways. And it is. It's radical. It's a radical change that's required. A true hatred of sin and a turning completely to to God. And there is no turning back. Remember what Ruth said uh, right there at the end of her statement, her confession, uh, she said, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. She left no option for going back. Almost like she was placing all of her eggs in this one basket. And so that question, what does conversion require? Now, even though it, it It's going to look different from person to person. There may be a long process that that goes before it. For some, it may be a very short process. may happen young, may happen older. But it always requires this, this committed decision to repent of sin, to turn away from sin, and to trust in Christ and fully embrace Christ. It's a giving up of one's own way, the path that you're on and embracing the new way of Jesus Christ. Remember what we read earlier uh, out of, of Acts chapter 2? Uh, when, the, when the Jews were faced with this question, all of a sudden, before them, what they saw, and they were, they were struck to the heart, they saw their sin. They saw what they did, and it really entered in and convicted them inside. And so they, they cried out to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, uh, what shall we do? And uh, the answer that was given there 
by Peter, repent and turn, in other words, turn back and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a, a, a turning away and a turning to, a, a renouncing and a clinging. Uh, and so what, what, what's required? A committed decision, a choice that must be made. You've got to make it yours. And that's the question that's there for uh, each one of us. And it's that question, have I? Have I committed to that new path? Have I followed that new way? One of, one of my favorite passages out of Isaiah 55. And this is the call that Jesus makes. And inherent in this call is the cost. We've got to consider the cost. But at the same time is the sweetness of this path. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. That's the Lord Jesus calling people to Himself and saying, renounce that, that path, the old path. Uh, which once you know about that path and understand it, you'll recognize that it is the wrong way, uh, that it has no ultimate lasting benefit. So first of all, it requires that uh, inside that commitment uh, decision to be made, but also conversion requires a work of God. It is God ultimately who provides for conversion. And in those words... There's great sweetness and great security and great peace. Uh, now, this can be hard, perhaps, to see and understand. We, we think of things from our own uh, perspective, yet out of God's Word, this is where we receive great comfort and a, a tremendous joy. Uh, so this radical change that takes place in the heart of a person is not ultimately a change that we're responsible for, that we're responsible to hang on to. Uh, and make sure we continue committed to it is ultimately entirely a work of God. Now, we get the sense of this at the beginning of the passage. This is, this is not conversion itself, but we certainly get the sense, and I think as we continue through, uh, through this passage and through the book, we see it more and more. Uh, but the first words that we re read this morning, now remember it began that there's this family uh, that had departed from the land of promise. They had gone their own way. They departed from the Lord's provision. Uh, uh, and, and at the same time, if you think about Orpah, you think about Ruth as well. That's what characterized their lives as well. That's what it was. They were going their own way. They were going their own path. Uh, but look at what, what we read about in the uh, the beginning of our reading today, verse 6, it says that uh, she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. 
Now this is what prompted Naomi to return. It wasn't just a sense of duty. It wasn't just a, a need, well, I need to, to be back in the land. You know, I have family there. Uh, any of that, it was on the basis of what the Lord had done. It says, the Lord had visited His people and given them food. Now I want to point out a, a, a statement that's a very similar to this that we find uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. If you know that passage, it's, it's where we're talking about the birth of Jesus. And uh, Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father, uh, he makes a prophecy at, at one point out of great joy. And here are the words that he shared. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. Think of the parallel of that with what we just read. That statement was about the true bread that would cause people to return to their God. Now, uh, of course, John the Baptist himself would preach a message of repentance. And it was ultimately to turn to this one, the one who has redeemed his people, uh, raised up a horn of salvation uh, amongst them. That was John the Baptist, and he'd be preaching, you need to receive this bread, the true bread. Well, here at the beginning of the book of Luke, I'm sorry, beginning of the book of Ruth, we get just a taste of this. Uh, in the physical bread that the Lord provided for His people. Now look at what it ends up doing. It prompts Naomi and those who are with her to return to the land of promise. And it serves almost like this foreshadowing of that which would come and of how the Lord works. You know, He opens eyes to be able to, to see the bread that is there. Naomi's ears were open, even in the fields of Moab. Uh, so that she desired to return. And that's what we see further on down with, with Ruth. And I'll just note, in contrast to what we see, or what we don't see with Orpah, uh, in the words of Ruth's confession, we see one in whom the Lord had opened eyes to be able to see and to understand who He is and, and all that He offers and to be able to see and to understand the path that she had been on before, and the futility of that path, uh, and the gods that she had been following. Uh, and so, Naomi made it abundantly clear to, to Ruth, there is no other way in which it would make sense for her to cling on to Naomi, to take the path that she took. Now, th this, this would make no sense whatsoever. But what we can see in Ruth's words is that she had inside a completely new affection. There's a love there and there's a conviction there uh, that in a sense, this is it. This is the only way for her. There's no other way forward and there's no turning back. And what we're going to see as we continue on in the book is the fruit that comes from that change, from that conviction that was inside. Uh, the key is all of this came ultimately from the Lord's work. We're not given how. We don't know exactly what took place uh, in this family, how, how, how Naomi, in, even in her misery, how she continued to follow the Lord perhaps and, and to teach, uh, but somehow... 
uh, Ruth was able to see and to know about the one true God. Now, uh, many have read this story. They pointed to the statement that Ruth makes there, beginning in verse 16. Wonderful statement. They've even done a character study on Ruth, and they've concluded this. They've said, what a woman Ruth was. Such character, such wisdom, and such love. Now, now we need to emulate that in our own lives. We need to try to, to be like Ruth. Now, ultimately, the answer to that is we can't. <laughs> because it wasn't Ruth all along. And it's not us that brings about that change inside. It's ultimately God's work. And that's the work that we see on display in the heart of a, a woman who was really no different than Orpah. But she had to make a choice. She had to make a decision to turn to the one true God or to remain in a place of comfort, a place in which she knew, a place in which uh, her family would be there, her land but she chose the one true God. She chose the path of difficulty. She chose the path that might cost her all of those other things, but she made the choice. Why? Because the Lord had opened her eyes to be able to see. And she could see His provision and His way and His mercy and His grace. It was His calling placed upon her heart that there is a sense in which she heard and she couldn't refuse. She couldn't turn from it. And so the question for us, again, is, is that the voice that I have heard? Is that the voice that I have come to know? You know in John chapter 10, uh, this is one of those places where we find the I Am passages. Uh, but right there at the beginning, it talks about uh, the shepherd of the sheep. Uh, and the shepherd of the sheep that it's speaking about is the Lord Jesus. And it says, He opens the gate and the sheep hear His voice. And He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. And when He has brought out all His own, He goes before them and the sheep follow, follow Him for they know His voice. A stranger, they will not follow. They will flee from Him, but they will follow His voice. Now that's what we're see that's what we see here taking place with Ruth. Uh, she she has come to see and she has come to hear that voice of the shepherd. And therefore that conviction that we hear beginning in verse 16 her confession it's all of God. It's all of the voice that he has called with. And so he opens up her eyes and she follows. And that's the voice that we need to hear. We need to listen. It's straight out of His Word. We need to hear it and follow. And I'll close with this. This is a passage out of Acts chapter 26. Uh, this is the message that, that the Apostle Paul was given by the Lord Jesus uh, when he said, this is your task, uh, to go to the Gentiles. And here's what he said to him, and this applies to us as well. He said, this is all about opening their eyes, opening our eyes, that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ Jesus. And that's the message that we need for ourselves. Uh, because he, he, he begins it 
opening their eyes. We need to have our eyes open, our ears open, so that we hear, we truly hear that this message is not just for those out there. This is a personal message. It is for us. And as we follow that message, then we'll be following the shepherd. Uh, and what, take, what happens inside, if that's already happened for us, it happens at a point in time, uh, or if it hasn't and we follow, what happens inside is that process of change, the Lord changing our hearts. He not only opens our ears, but He changes our hearts completely to see and to follow and to be able to leave behind uh, all that we were following uh, along with before. And remember, I had talked about at the beginning of this story, that, that that conversion opens up the way to true blessing, to final blessing. And so in this story, we ask the question, what could possibly turn this type of misery around? The answer is true conversion, a following of the Lord, a clinging on to Him. And that's what we see here, and that's what we need for our own hearts that we may proceed on to, to the place of true blessing, which is the place of following the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You this morning for, for this, uh, that You have not left us alone, that You have cared for us in this way, that, that You sent Your Son, the Lord Jesus, to, to be our Savior, to be our go-to, uh, Lord, that, that we might turn and follow Him and leave behind uh, the other gods of this world and that we might have the way of true and final blessing, that we might have the hope and one day be able to see You face to face. And so we thank You, Lord, for that. At the same time, we know our own hearts and we know our own needs we pray that out of your grace and out of your mercy and as you convict our hearts more and more, that we will have that kind of conviction that we hear in, in the voice of Ruth and in her confession. Not words that come from us, uh, that, but words that ultimately come from your work uh, in our hearts and in our lives. We do pray for your help. And we look to you. We pray these things in Christ's name.